Hey there, folks. Rob Hessler here with another episode of Art on the Air, my weekly Savannah Morning News and Do Savannah special. Thanks again for tuning in as always. And I have another great episode lined up for you. And I know I say that every single week, but this episode is particularly special. One of my favorite artists, world-renowned public artist Jerome B. Meadows is my guest this week on Art on the Air. Jerome is currently working on a memorial to Ed Johnson in Chattanooga, a large-scale public art project. He's done a piece around the African burial grounds up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. He's done Martin Luther King Jr. monuments in places like Albuquerque and Anchorage. He's done stuff all over, including here in Savannah. And we had an incredible, incredible conversation, almost 45 minutes here that you're going to get to enjoy of Jerome speaking about his work and touching on a couple of local issues. For example, the concern over Confederate monuments here in Savannah and then also what is going on with the Weeping Time property. So really great stuff here from Jerome, and he was so generous with his time, and he was a really, really great interview. You're just going to absolutely love this one. Wanted to mention, as always, you can catch past episodes of Art on the Air and my corresponding Art Off the Air column, as well as all of the writing that I do for Do Savannah and the Savannah Morning News over at savannahnow.com in the entertainment section. Last week, I had the chance to speak with Olivia Beaumont about her wonderful, fantastical paintings. And the week before that, I spoke with Sada Mitchell doing a full tour of her exhibition in the Art 912 Gallery over at the Jepson Center. So lots of great stuff. SavannahNow.com in the entertainment section. You won't want to miss everything that we have to offer there in covering the local art scene. But let's get into this conversation again. Jerome B. Meadows talking about public art and everything that he's got going on, including his upcoming talk over at Grand Bohemian Gallery right here in Savannah. Enjoy. Rob Hessler here with Art on the Air Field Notes. I'm speaking by Zoom with Jerome Meadows. So grateful to have Jerome back on the show. And we're going to be talking today about an upcoming event that Jerome is going to be doing over at Grand Bohemian Gallery here at the mansion on at Forsyth Park on Thursday, May 27th at 6 p.m., Demystifying the Monumental Burden of Public Art, a talk there. But before we do that, Jerome, I want to kind of dig into some other stuff because we're not talking, you're not in Savannah right now. You are in Chattanooga working on a big, big project. Why don't, for those who don't know what you're working on, because I know a lot of our locals do, okay. what are you up to up there and how's it going? Uh, I'm uh, basically uh, been designing and uh, creating. We're now under construction with the Ed Johnson Memorial. Um, and just to give a brief historical context, uh, Ed Johnson was a 26-year-old African-American male who was uh, falsely accused uh, and been convicted of molesting Nevada Taylor, a young white girl. Um, what's significant about this uh, event, uh, which happened in 1906, um, was that there was a trial and at least 12 witnesses basically confirmed uh, Ed Johnson's alibi that he was nowhere near the site of this, uh, where this uh, molestation occurred. But Chattanooga at that point, um, 
was very mob oriented. Um, and so the minute that someone came forward after about three or four days and uh, indicated that they saw Ed Johnson um, at the site, the mob was ready to lynch him at that point. Um, but at least the sheriff did a show of, of uh, trying to be legal. So again, they, they had a trial. Um, he was found guilty. Um, but then something exceptional had happened. Um, Ed Johnson's father, who you can imagine was uh, uh, quite upset with the uh, outcome, uh, went to a black lawyer in Chattanooga and he in turn decided to go to, a, to, to form a partnership with another black lawyer. Uh, so this was Stiles Hutchins and Noah Pardon. And they realized that this was a clear case of, of, uh, of a mistrial or you know, not a trial at all. And so they essentially decided that they needed to take this, this case to the Supreme Court in Washington, DC. Uh, so two things happened as a result of that that were unprecedented. One, a black lawyer presenting to the Supreme Court and through Judge Harlan, the Supreme Court agreeing to hear the case. So they ordered, they being the Supreme Court, ordered Sheriff Shrift or Shift to um, hold Ed Johnston as a prisoner of the United States until they could have the hearing. The mob was incensed by this. And so they approached uh, the sheriff and said, look, you're up for reelection in 10 days. If you want your job, we want Ed Johnson. The sheriff basically dismissed all of his deputies. The mob came in, grabbed Ed Johnson on the night of uh, March and walked him up about a mile and a half to the uh, Walnut Street Bridge. And they lynched him from that bridge. And what's interesting also is that uh, 13 years prior to Ed Johnson being lynched, Alfred Blunt was lynched from the same bridge. And the significance of this is that back in those days, the bridge, which was cable car, um, separated Black Savannah, uh, sorry, Black uh, Chattanoogans um, on one shore from white rest of the city. So this was really a terroristic act. Mm. And as a result, uh, up until recently, currently, a number of uh, members of the African-American community refused to cross the bridge. So anyway, um, <clears throat> I was uh, uh, informed about this by way of a RFQ, Request for, for Qualifications, put together a team. We competed with two other teams, and uh, I was honored to be awarded the commission. So yes, it's uh, it's full steam ahead at this point. <laughs> right, and I think those who were able to attend Christopher Moreau's wonderful series of lectures about public art, you were one of the presenters in one of those three lectures and got to see some of the design work for that, which in, in which you feature the two lawyers and there right. is a, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a really, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a horrible thing that happened in our history and everything like that. But what I find really amazing about the site specific installation, the, the, the transformation of that area that you're putting together is that it's really empowering. It allows, it's, it's not, I mean, I hate for lack of a better word, it's not depressing. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's something that I feel like, you know, people of all different cultures and colors and, and backgrounds can sort of 
have a bit of reconciliation with the past and engaging with it, um, based at least on what I've been able to see from the design work um, right. and how you know the viewer is intended to engage with it. And so I don't know, maybe if you can talk a little bit about that and that sort of that decision, because I think that you know on the surface again, it's it's such a dark moment in history. Um, but to sort of, I think, in a way, find a, a path back to light in a lot of ways in the way that you yeah. kind of created the space. Yeah, well, um, <clears throat> this has all happened as a result of uh, a, a body of community members forming the Ed Johnson Memorial Committee. And uh, right from the onset, they determined that uh, the phrase would be um, remembrance, reconciliation, and initially it was unity, but they've changed that to healing at this point. Mm. Um, so they set forth that, um, that uh, agenda, that conceptual approach, that uh, this is really about um, uh, having this story, this darkness, <clears throat> um, bring the community together in a sense of, of enlightenment. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the features is uh, uh, this, these three sculptures, Ed Johnson in the triangular format is at the apex of that. Uh, his back is turned, he's walking away from the spot on the bridge that he was lynched. Um, his hand uh, is extended so that you can take his hand. Um, and his foot is actually stepping out of a noose. So there is the noose mm. and there is that very graphic representation of what lynching is. But the idea is that the relationship between the noose and the victim is such that he's being liberated from it. It's not something that, that continues to be um, something that we would feel victimized by. Um, and so I specifically chose that because, you know, the noose, <laughs> uh, it's, it's too potent a symbol of hatred right. here. Um, and so the intention here was, since Ed Johnson was lynched, to utilize the noose symbolically as something that uh, he, we, can step beyond, uh, get beyond. Uh, and how do we do that? Well, that's a, that's a loaded question I'm posing to myself. Um, it takes time. But, you know, the other thing about the Ed Johnson Memorial is that uh, unbeknownst to this committee, um, we are neck deep, if I may use that phrase, in the racial issues, the racial right. justice issues that are just inflamed within our, our society. Uh, and so I feel quite... Uh, honored and challenged um, that this memorial is uh, within that realm. And the question is, how is it speaking of that realm? How is it contributing to that realm? And, you know, I know we'll be talking about it later, but hence demystifying the monumental burden of public art. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, that is, I mean, the well, but if there's anybody can handle the pressure, it's you. I will say that, Jerome. But, but it is uh, that. No, it is interesting because I mean I've spoken to a lot of Black artists and and artists of color in the last year plus, and um, and you know I've I've asked a lot of them that question. You know, you feel the pressure to almost, and I think that you know society in a lot of ways, especially the media, wants to say, "Hey, Black person." speak for your entire race when you say answer this following question and that is like a really a lot of pressure 
Um, you know, and, and to a certain extent, you know, I think that a lot of the black artists that I've been speaking to have been feeling a little bit of that pressure to, you know, if you're, if they're putting themselves out there, how are people viewing the work? And is it saying like, are you the spokesperson, you know, so to, to, so to speak. Right, right, right. Um, well, I, you know, not to go too much into what my talk will be about, because I want people to show up for it. Um, but there is that question. But I would also say, Rob, that, um, you know, I think we're at a time now where I'm really encouraged when we see the protests that are going on, mm -hmm. multiracial they are. Right. Um, so I don't think the burden, quote unquote, is just on black artists. Um, I think it's on everybody anybody to, um, you know, speak out to the extent that they see this injustice. Um, and, and one of the, within the Ed Johnson Memorial, there are these quotations that are go, going to be on the paving level within the memorial. And one of them that, uh, you know, I felt I absolutely needed to utilize was from a woman. And the quote is, I wasn't there to care then, but I am here to care now. And so it sort of pushes, you know, the, the mantra that I grew up with during the civil rights era. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of, part of the problem. Um, and so that pressure with respect to artists and particularly putting public art out there is, uh, you know, how are you ignoring this issue? Um, do you feel that, uh, you know, it is racially divisive and only black people should be dealing with it. Mm -hmm. But if you're putting work in a public setting, then you're talking to, you know, the, uh, community. And the question becomes, since we're, we're so, our, our awareness is so increased, um, can you avoid addressing it? Um, and that's, you know, I, I think that that's a, a very, we're at a very critical time, you know, with respect to uh, what public art is, what it needs to be, um, whose voice should be uh, listened to. Um, yeah, it's a very difficult time with respect to public art. Uh, and again, I feel fortunate that, um, you know, as we enter into this time, I'm well positioned, firmly positioned within that dialogue by way of the Ed Johnson Memorial. Yeah, I mean, it is just, I mean, of course these projects take years and you have no idea, you know, what the circumstance right. is going to be. Right. And, you know, I think this is also really important because, you know, I think with everything with COVID and, every, and, mm -hmm. and all of that is that, and it's something that's been a little bit frustrating to me is that, you know, COVID has almost overshadowed the social justice movement in a way with everything that's been happening. And so like, it's kind of the responsibility I think is us on a culture to, you know, make sure that we like make the volume continue to be up more than the 15 minutes and then be like, okay, well now we're done worrying about that. We'll start, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, the NBA and NFL made some statements. So everything must be okay. And right. instead actually make some real change. And, but I do think I do agree. And this is an interesting, I was speaking with, um, with a photographer and artist, Ahmaud Jackson, right about uh, right just after the murders of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery. And we were mentioning, we were talking about, cause he and I are about the same age. And I was in high school when the Rodney King beating happened. And we, and, and so was he, we're like 
pretty much exactly the same age. And we were sort of talking about how at that time there was like a, a big protest movement kind of woke up then, but it was, it was all people of color that were protesting and it wasn't the, the white community. And even like people like myself who was like in high school, like we weren't even encouraged. It wasn't even like a part of our thinking, you know, as like, um, you know, a white kid growing up at that time. But now, like you said, when you see like the, you know, you see, look on the news and you see the pictures or even like the protests that we had here in Savannah, for example. Yeah. 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 The, um, the, the, like you said, the, the racial diversity in the gatherings was, was very noticeable. I mean, it was yeah. very, noticeable. Encouraging. very encouraging. Yeah. 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 Well, look, I don't want to get off into a huge talk on on, um, on the social justice movement because obviously it's a it's a big thing. So let's let's kind of dovetail a little bit more into talking about um, public art. And, and I don't again, we don't want to take everything from your talk here, but I want to for the benefit of our audience who may not actually be aware of the talk I mentioned, it's going to be happening on Thursday, May 27th at 6 p.m. at the Grand Bohemian Gallery at the mansion at Forsyth Park. That's at 700 Drayton Street. And I'm going to read this little blurb oh, okay. uh, from the gallery here so people kind of get a sense. It's a talk by renowned public artist Jerome B. Meadows demystifying the monumental burden of public art. The evening will delve into the importance of public art and its purpose in service to our spaces and places. Meadows will reflect on his 29-year career as a public space designer to discuss the continuous shifts in means, methods, and materials of the art form, how public art reflects the diversity in cultures and locations and how it serves the needs of a specific time, place, and circumstance. So there's a lot in there. I mean, like that spans a whole lot. <laughs> and, and you read it, yeah, there is. <laughs> um, I hope you have like, you know, three, four hours to talk about all of those, <laughs> those major topics. But you have been doing this for a long time. And we're going to talk about a couple of specific projects here. But okay. beyond those specific projects, talk about the general themes that some of the general themes that I just mentioned there and sort of what you have in mind for the audience. Because I think while Savannah has a lot of public art, actually. It's monuments. It's not the kind of public <laughs> art which necessarily tells us a story beyond the story of a one person and you look at them and it's kind of like a sculptural portrait. Exactly. Right. And yeah. so we have a lot of art, public art and people think Savannah is full of public art. People like maybe that aren't as <laughs> aware of what public art can be. Right. So maybe if you could talk just a little bit about that and sort of maybe changing that dynamic, changing that thinking within the general public in Savannah, because I think that it is sort of a really important distinction between the two. Yeah, I start out, uh, the, the talk will start out with um, me uh, posing or providing definitions from uh, noteworthy sources with respect to what is public art. Uh, Americans for the Arts, for example, uh, that's one of the um, organizations that I'm pulling quotations from. Art News uh, wrote an interesting article uh, specifically detailing what's been happening in 2020 with respect to public art. But then I follow that with um, descriptions of monumental art, monuments. Okay, what's Webster's definition of that, for example, and there's maybe three or four definitions. Uh, with the idea being that uh, we've got public art, which has this much broader uh, definition or part that it plays. I mean, one statement says it could be something that's 50 feet tall or draws your attention to the pavement under your feet. So that's quite a range. 
with monumental, um, we go, it goes into uh, obviously larger pieces, uh, pieces that have, as you just indicated, a very specific audience, um, you know, the portrait of that person uh, on the horse, but that is also a statement of the people that believe in that person. And to extend it even further, the people who are oppressed or were oppressed mm -hmm. by that, that person. Um, so then, you know, the question becomes, um, and then I, I pose a question and I'll share this, um, uh, is bigger better when it comes to public art? Okay. And I have two examples to show there. And this is all I'm going to talk about specifically. Uh, one is Mount Rushmore. And the other is the Black Lives Matter mural that was painted on 16th Street. Right. Big, big. One, Rushmore, is uh, an insult to Native Americans by existing in their ancestral land. Black Lives Matter is a challenge to the U.S. government. It's on 16th Street leading to the White House. Okay, so you got these big, big, and then I asked the question, um, is yelling, <laughs> this big, is big tantamount to yelling? And is yelling really an effective means of communication? Okay. Um, and then that segues into my own work where the emphasis has never been on size, but on relatability. Um, that uh, you as the viewer, no matter what it is I'm trying to tell you, I want you to be able to relate to it. Uh, and so then that's the gist of what my 29 years of doing public art has, has uh, representing. So, yeah. Well, let's talk about a specific piece then. And this is one yeah. of my absolute favorite pieces of yours, but I also think it relates to how I think as a community at Savannah that we can talk about some of the things that are really important to Savannah's history in a way that I feel like is thoughtful and respectful. And like you said, it's not really yelling, it's actually engaging. And that's the, the piece that you did in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, the African burial ground piece. So I'm not going to do it the proper justice. So <laughs> give us a, give us a brief sort of description of, of what happened and how, and what you ended up doing in response to what happened there in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which I think many people would think wouldn't really think of African burial ground Precisely. in New Hampshire. So and and how they dealt with that. Right. Yeah. So basically, um, a um, city crew had been sent to Chestnut Street to repair a sewer line, um, and they dug a hole, big hole, and hit something. And when they looked into the hole, they saw this baby blue sewer line running across the feet of coffins. And so, you know, obviously the crew that had put in that pipeline said, what the hell? <laughs> These are just bodies. We don't care. The higher spirits of our, the higher angels of our nature came forward in the second crew and they stopped work, reported it. And that brought in historians, archaeologists, and all of this was confirming what had been believed was that uh, Chestnut Street back in the day was designated as this African burying ground. Um, and what's interesting here is uh, noteworthy is that uh, like the burying ground under Wall Street in New York City, 
wherever you had enslaved people and they were worked to death, they had to be buried someplace and they never allowed them to be buried, to my knowledge, in the normal, regular white cemetery. So they were always given property on the outskirts of town and eventually that property got built on top of. Mm -hmm. And so this story happens wherever you had enslaved people, which is pretty much throughout America. So at any rate, um, once again, a, a group of uh, citizens got together and determined that there should be a more proper memorial to this cemetery. Uh, they estimated about 200 people. So they put out a call and uh, I was uh, fortunate and honored to have been selected. Um, and in that case, rather than selecting on the basis of a, of a model, a competitive model, they selected on the basis of an interview. What's noteworthy there is that uh, with a model, you've got maybe three months to put together your proposal. It's competitive. Having been selected on the basis of an interview, I had about a year to invest in time in um, Portsmouth, researching, talking to people, uh, and learning about the story. So uh, I presented a, a, my design that was approved. And in 2015, um, it was completed and um, it occupies the length of Chestnut Street. Um, and um, <clears throat> uh, basically uh, there's uh, a, an entryway and a, a egress at the, is a slope street, I should point out. Um, the formal entryway has this granite stone, this obelisk is uh, standing there with, uh, it's about nine feet tall, four feet wide maybe nine inches thick. And on one side, uh, facing towards the memorial itself is a life-size male figure representing the first uh, enslaved person brought into Portsmouth in 1645. On the reverse side is a female figure representing Mother Africa. And they're both standing to the, towards the edge of that stone <clears throat> and they're reaching around <clears throat> such that their hands are not quite touching. Um, and I, I always like to tell, I, I love having a, a working relationship with the um, committees that are guiding these projects. Um, I went back and forth for a couple of weeks where at one point their hands were cla clasping on another, their hands were further apart. And so I took the question to the committee and they, <clears throat> without even blinking said, oh, well, they should be about an inch apart. <laughs> hmm. And that's how they are. And that's how forcefully it works in terms of, are they coming together or are they being pulled apart? So Mother Africa um, has her uh, arm across her abdomen and her forefinger and thumb are parted slightly. And this was not something that I anticipated, but I kid you not, <clears throat> since 2015, every day, Mother Africa has flowers in her hands. Somebody uh, or some bodies make it a point. Even in the dead of winter, I've got this striking photograph where she's covered in snow, but those flowers are still there. Um, and so it's, it's that, you know, it's that point of, you know, this isn't yelling at you, but it engages you. And so I just feel that, you know, this is uh, just confirmation of this artistic conceptual design approach that I've been following for all these years. 
And yeah, as you mentioned, Rob, uh, you know, I'm sitting in a coffee shop, a cafe, sidewalk cafe, and if 10 people walk by, at least two of them are pulling me up and giving me a hug and, and complimenting me on this marvelous gift uh, that I provided for the uh, city of Portsmouth. Um, and you can imagine <laughs> with Portsmouth having only 2% African-Americans, most of these people are white. <laughs> uh, so to go to your point, you know, there's this acceptance. Okay, this is part of our history. Most of them, most of them were not aware of it until this story came out. But instead of pushing back and saying, no, we don't want to acknowledge that, they embraced it. And what could be better? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, you said acceptance, but yeah, like you said, embracing it. And I think that that's kind of what, you know, something that I want to sort of talk about and, and, you know, sort of start to round off our conversation here with. And that's the, you know, thinking about this kind of thing in terms of Savannah, because, you know, Portsmouth, mm -hmm. New Hampshire, it's certainly like we kind of were saying, it doesn't have all of this history built into it. And you know, it's, it, this is just a, a personal anecdote here, but I thought, you know, I moved here, I grew up in the Washington DC area. Mm -hmm. And then I lived in Los Angeles for a time for eight years. And then I moved to Savannah and I was, to be honest with you, I was absolutely shocked at the, the way that black and white communities were separate here. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, like I kind of was just accustomed to to different cultures living together right. in, in DC and in Los Angeles, where there is such a mix of different types, ethnicities, sure. backgrounds, yeah. and where there is still this, you know, there are real dividing lines like between mm -hmm. communities here in Savannah. And I would actually say it's even gotten a little bit better in the, in the decade that I've been in Savannah, but still it, it, it still exists, you know? Right. And, um, and I think that one, one of the things that I, think would go a long way is if we kind of all came together and, you know, made some peace, I think, with some of, and I, again, I'm like a, a Yankee coming in here telling people what they should do down in the South. But I mean, I think to a certain extent, if we could just make some peace over some of these things, and like we talked about the word, we use, you use the word reconciliation a number of times. And, and yeah. that's something that I think about too and we have Confederate monuments here in, in Savannah that are, you know, a contentious issue. And um, yeah, and actually let's, so let's talk about both of those things. So let's talk about those two aspects. First of all is dealing with the Confederate monuments here and then also engaging with the history that has not been engaged with yet. And with, of course, I mentioned before we started this recording, the weeping time grounds, which there is a bit of a discussion about right now. So a lot of people, and you know, you'll hear it when somebody says, well, we should take down these Confederate memorials. And our mutual friend, Christopher Monroe has been very active in some of those <laughs> conversations right now. Right. The response is, well, you're destroying history. You're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're wiping history off and to, we need to keep these things. So we remember history. I mean, what is your response that you're, you're somebody who is very engaged in this topic right. and you have a lot of, you've done more research than any of these people on the internet could possibly claim to have um, on this topic. So mm -hmm. kind of when people say that, what do you think, how do you sort of make that argument that, well, it's beyond just, well, we don't want to erase history. 
Well, I think that that's a uh, that's a valid point. You know, history is what history is, and it it's there to um, keep us informed. You know, I like the uh, Sankofa Adinkra symbol that says "Go back and fetch it." That if you aren't mindful of the past, you're going to repeat it. Okay, so that's from African culture. Um, but you know, I think the uh, the idea or the notion or the statement, the fear of, you know, you're destroying history um, needs to be um, uh, put into the context of, it's more a matter of contextualizing history, okay? Um, you know, placing these, these monuments that were placed where they are because the people who did them realize the power of public art. Um, but they were, either they were being insensitive to the offense that these pieces would give, or that was intentional, okay? Mm -hmm. um, so they're wrapped in, as we were talking about earlier, you know, there's the portrait of the person on the horse, but there's also the people who believe in that person, uh, and then the people who are offended by that. So uh, recontextualizing it says that the history is not ignored, but it's put in a context in which you can see more of what it uh, does and what it means in the broader community if it's going to be in the public, okay? Um, what I am opposed to, and you know, I, I found that a lot of other sculptors feel the same way, is the, um, the anger, the yelling that says, let's just rip it down and throw it in the river. <laughs> okay. um, because, you know, as a person who creates public art pieces, I would, uh, I would be very opposed to someone who's opposed to what I've done, feeling that they have the right to tear it down and throw it in the river. It's just not, uh, it's just not a positive way of looking at public art in general. Um, so the difference is, of course, when the crane comes out because the community has come together, they've discussed the issues, um, they are looking for a positive way forward, the crane comes out, lifts the piece off of its pedestal intact, and it goes to wherever this community has decided is a more favorable place for mm. it. Okay. But then the other side of this is, and I can say this now with a co completely different perception than I would have said it, said, spoken of this about a month ago, there's Yamacross Square. Right. Which brought me to chat to uh, Savannah in 1997. It was completed um, and then, well, no, it was started. And then it took 10 years for it to be completed. Um, and then shortly after that, it fell into dis disarray and became an embarrassment. And I, 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 I kept, I still was trying to get my mind around the fact that I'm in Portsmouth, <laughs> okay, 2% black, <laughs> and people are embracing me and about this gift to the city. And I'm in my hometown of Savannah and I'm embarrassed to take people to see my public art work, which is about history, it's about culture, it's monumental in the sense of these, these objectives. However, about a month ago, miracle upon miracle, it's being restored. No way. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> 
I wasn't gonna pick at that scab. Actually, I was gonna leave that one. There was a scab. a scab for all these years. Good terminology. Uh, it's being restored. Can you believe it? <laughs> that is such wonderful news. I mean, like, what a po- you know. And I, I don't know how that all. How did that all happen? How do you are you aware of how that? Happened? I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, I know that. Uh, yeah, it's it's, and I've been in communication, been met over there with the people who are who are doing it, and we've talked about the specifics of what needs to be meet, uh, needs to be done. And uh, on one level, it felt like I was in a dream, <laughs> uh, but that dream is coming true. It's actually being restored. So, uh, yeah. So Savannah is, um, you know. <clears throat> Being true to its uh, nickname of Slovanna. This <laughs> <laughs> is like really, really slow from the point that it, it was started and finished to now finally being brought back online. So, well, since you've already picked at one scab, I'll, I'll pick at this other scab here. What about the Savannah Garden sculpture? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Good question. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, uh, Yamacross Square gives me hope, renewed hope. Right. People, uh, maybe not in you, like you said, you, and I've heard you say this before, it was an embarrassment to you. You didn't want to take people to it. Right. But these are the kind of things that where there is, this is public art with important meaning that like if in any other place, it would be the kind of thing that you would find in your like, you know, your travel guide. And like people like me who love art would go to the city and say, I want to see this thing. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And so that is hopefully what we can hope for, for the future. Yeah. And, and you know, the fact that it's, it's labeled Yamacross Square, the word square there is very important. You know, this is a mm-hmm. city of squares. And when it was finished... It was essentially Savannah's newest square, which is no short, nothing short of like, wow. (laughs) But it's in a black, low-class black community. And so, you know, you've got this this inescapable issue of, you know, how our social, how social disadvantage becomes an issue. Now, I was, my thought was, yeah, this is great. This puts this piece on the front lines of this, this issue and will bring um, uh, value, importance, respectability using public art, a newest square. And that should be utilized to um, fight against those shortcomings. But those shortcomings are pretty entrenched. (laughs) So entrenched that, you know, it's been this long that uh, before anything's been done to repair it, but it is being restored. So therein lies a four-hour conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. I'm really happy. I mean, and not just congratulations to you, but congratulations to Savannah. I mean, I think that this is a, um, you know, even if it weren't you, you know, um, I think that this is just a, it's a positive step forward. And I, and I do agree. And I, I don't know if the new city council has anything to do with it, but I know that there are some very pro art, city okay. councilors that I think had some nice plans for us as far as things <laughs> in the community before we had COVID and right. their tax money dropped off of a cliff. Um, <laughs> but I want to finish up this conversation with just, I want to touch on the weeping time. Okay. 
grounds because um, because it's recently been a big topic of conversation here. I know that you're at least somewhat aware of it, even though you've been incredibly busy with your older projects and the Ed Johnson Memorial here. But one of the things, and I mentioned this before we went on the air, is that when I saw the debate about this, my actually you were my first thought because I knew you were working on the Ed Johnson Memorial yeah. up in Chattanooga. And it made me think that this would be the perfect location to have a project like that of that scope and that scale to contend with a really horrific moment in our history in a way that you said, as the, as you said, the committee that you were working with in Chattanooga, the third word that they chose was the word healing. I mean, we, right now there's a, there's a, one of those little, those historical markers, there's a historical marker. Right. And not to say that's nothing, but it's really nothing. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I read the historical markers because I'm a nerd and I like to read the historical markers, but nobody goes to a place to read a historical marker. Right. Right. Um, so, but people will go to a place to see a, a piece of art. Um, so I don't know if you have any sort of commentary on, on all of, join us in this controversy, Jerome. That's <laughs> um, asking a lot. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I, I'll be very blunt about it. Um, you know, I, I think that all too often uh, when it comes to these very crucial issues, um, you find that we keep going around in circles. Mm-hmm. Um, and my perception of that is that uh, one of the things that's left out of those conversations that I think would help us to spiral upwards um, is art and culture. Um, you know, the politicization of these these events um, to the degree that they dismiss the uh, culturalization of it, um, providing an artistic framework by which to talk about it. Um, And so I don't know, you know, because I'm on the outside, um, to what extent and in what way, or if in fact it already has, and you can tell me if, if you've sensed this, that art and culture has become part of the conversation. I mean, obviously the most recent um, brouhaha (laughs) seems to be in terms of geography (laughs) and real estate, Um, you know, whether or not this homeless shelter uh, is going to occupy some of the actual geography or real estate of what was the racetrack. Um, These are points based on the structure in which they're, they're, they're being engaged, that don't, I don't see them providing an answer. That's again, going around in circles mm-hmm. where somebody's going to win and that means somebody's going to be pissed or the other way around. Um, and so, you know, I guess what I'm saying is um, with uh, Yamacross Square, which, um, you know, came in as a result of leadership Savannah realizing the um, the cultural and historic value of that area um, proceeded without political, <laughs> you know, input to create this project. I did, you mentioned the city council, um, maybe about six, seven years ago, um, I put together a proposal and presented it to city council for, um, you know, repairing, repairing, restoration, and they accepted it, they mm. enforced it, but they were unwilling or unable to put any money to it. Um, and so, you know, how much of that was political, how much of that was economics, uh, I'm not sure. 
But the point is, I guess I'm giving a, I'm trying not to talk around your question, but to get to it. Uh, the weeping time is worthy of the best that we can do by way of monumental public art that is relatable. Um, because that story, as I think that you suggested, and, and I believe I'm, I'm accomplishing with uh, Ed Johnson, is to acknowledge the horror, the sadness, but to do so in a way that celebrates our awareness and what we have learned from it and what we can carry forward. Uh, that's, that's no easy thing to do, but I see that as being what's required. That's what I'm doing in, in here in Chattanooga. That's what happened in um, uh, Portsmouth. Um, that's what's happened with two uh, Martin Luther King memorials in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and one in way the hell away at Chris, Alaska. Um, that, uh, so I would hope that however the week, <laughs> what are you going to say? No, you just saw me. You see, our listeners can't see that I just put my hands over my head because there's a Martin Luther King monument happening in Alaska and there's not a weeping time memorial happening in Savannah, Georgia. To me, that you. is just totally insane. <laughs> It's totally backwards. Like it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but in, in every case, I mean, you know, for example, in Albuquerque, and I guess I think in Anchorage as well, Martin Luther King never uh, went to Albuquerque. Okay. But his, his beliefs, his um, spirit, what he was about was very much about uh, Albuquerque. And my job with my assistant as researchers were to find individuals like a postal worker, like the first black teacher in a school who basically were living his principles. Okay, mm -hmm. so, you know, physically, Martin Luther King never went to Albuquerque, but in terms of uh, civil rights and self-esteem and uplifting the black community, there were people there who did that. So that's what the memorial drew upon. Um, so, you know, I mean, yeah, the weeping time is something that uh, given the opportunity, I would, you know, be honored to approach it. But I know from enough experience that, uh, you know, we would have to have uh, some serious talks about who's at the table <laughs> in order to ensure that it would be um, handled in a manner that is uh, constructive and where the conversations spirals upwards rather than just going around in circles. So. Well, Jerome, I really appreciate your wisdom and your insight and most importantly, your time. I know you're a very, very busy man. So I appreciate you giving us like a pretty much an hour of your time today to talk about this stuff. I want to mention this one more time. Again, Demystifying the Monumental Burden of Public Art with Jerome B. Meadows is going to be taking place Thursday, May 27th at 6 p.m. at Grand Bohemian Gallery at the Mansion at Forsyth Park. That's at 700 Drayton Street. Thank you so much, Jerome. I really, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. My pleasure, Rob. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Art on the Air with your host, Rob Hessler. Listen every Wednesday for our live show, broadcasting from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, on 107.5 FM, Savannah Soundings, and worldwide at wruu.org. 
And you can catch past episodes on the WRUU station archives on our website, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll talk to you next week, where we'll have another batch of art on the air.